Well, hey, here we are. It's another Books of the Year podcast. Sorry that we've been away doing other things, but it's just the way it goes. I, don't, I think Matt's been busy. Yeah. He certainly hasn't been busy buying yeah. a new laptop or anything like that. But No, well, uh, this is my son's laptop that we're on. Um, so obviously, uh, you're about to hear our interview uh, with Ragnar, um, and uh, we're recording this intro after we've recorded that. Unfortunately, my son's laptop... Uh, isn't much of an improvement on my laptop, which is from the Stone Age. So, you know, we'll persist with it. When's your birthday? Uh, not long. It's a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, everyone. Uh, if you want to buy me a new laptop, that would be great. Well, yes. I, was thinking, I was thinking maybe Mrs. Williams might want to chip in there, just for all our sakes. Spring in for, <laughs> for I mean, a decent laptop. Uh, it might be the Wi-Fi. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it, I think it could be that as well. Anyway, Ragnar Jonasson is uh, is on the way. Um, whilst whilst we've been away, Wally Funk, uh, who was on the show a couple of summers ago. Oh wow, yeah, a long yeah. time ago. Uh, is going into space with Jeff Bezos at the age of uh, of eighty two. Um, uh, who's this? Joe Smith says this woman is amazing. I read about the Mercury thirteen, and I'm angry she didn't get to go back then. Happy for her now. Have you got some of this stuff, Matt? Yes, yes. Um, Frances Crossland also said, I heard it on the 8 o'clock news. I was so happy for her. Her appearance on your podcast was special. The book's so interesting. Making history again. Go Wally. My my own recollection of that was uh, I asked her a question when we were doing the interview. She did not uh, like the question that I was asking her. And uh, the look on her face was very yes. much making it clear that I should very much back off. Um, uh, Helen Russell, author of A Year of Living Dan- Danishly, uh, has tweeted us, said, uh, loved hearing Ben McIntyre talking about Agent Sonia, which is another of those great Ben, ben McIntyre books. I think his next one's about cold it, so I cannot wait for that. Uh, she says, packed with jaw-dropping moments, but possibly the most shocking was the children were each allowed four fizzy drinks and three ice creams. Three ice creams, says Helen. My kids go bananas on one. Who was this woman? Hashtag just read. Um, Tracy Lasham uh, emails uh, finally say, uh, by chance... I found your podcast a couple of weeks ago. How would you manage to stay hidden for so long? It took me back to a different time when I listened to you both on Five Live. I had 122 episodes to catch up with, and I must say that I think I'm powering through them quite well. I've just listened to the first of 2019, where Matt is stuck in traffic, but the reason I'm emailing is because a couple of the previous ones, Roger Daltrey and Robin Ince, begin with you two talking about how bad things were and how you didn't think they could get any worse. Yes. And yet they did. Uh, it's so strange to hear you chatting as I sit here in 2021. Anyway, keep up the good work. I absolutely love listening to you both, and I often laugh loudly at you, so you properly cheer up my day. Five stars, obviously. Oh, yeah, which goes Five back to stars. when we were when we actually asked people to review us favourably. I mean, but now I listen to yes. podcasts, and every, everybody asked to be rated as five stars, yeah. and it makes us sound a little bit cheap. But anyway... Okay, it also it also to... means that those ratings can't really matter, can they? If everyone's five stars, then you know what's the point in having a rating system? That's that's my uh, personal feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's very. Uh, anyway, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can email books of the year at yahoo.com, uh, or you can tweet us at books of the year, and we would love to hear from you and include you in our next uh, show, which will be in a couple of weeks' time with John Boyne, who's got another book. I mean, John Boyne is like a machine. Um, he Quite is amazing. astonishing output as I struggle to finish uh, like one book every two years. There's John Boyne 
another amazing book. We'll be speaking to John in a couple of weeks. However, he's our next guest because the very the guest who's coming up on this show is live from Reykjavik. Here we are. Are you in Reykjavik, Ragnar? I am actually, yes. Well, let me tell you something. Matt and I both would have experienced, uh, not that we live together, I'm not, not saying no. that, <laughs> most people <laughs> in the UK at like two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning that's just passed would have thought, this is too hot. Oh. I'm going to have to open the window. I don't know how I'm going to survive the night because the heat is so amazing. And it did occur to me I would rather be in Reykjavik because the nights yeah. are easier there. True? Uh, no, I don't think you'd rather be here. It's uh, it's quite miserable. It's like 12 degrees and, and cloudy. So, Yeah, well, you know, that has, that has a lot to be said for it. <laughs> I, I think, as you can see from Matt's face, Ragnar, he's been out in the sun. Yeah. Uh, I think he was yeah. running a barbecue. I had barbecue on Saturday you might night, have, yeah. Yeah, you have more daylight than we do, but you can see what Matt's done with his. He's not put on any factor, any factor fifty. Oh, and this camera's just disappeared, which is oh, has it? Uh, this is uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Frankly, your your laptop has just decided. You know what? Let's not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the crucial thing about a podcast is the sound. So we appreciate yeah. the fact that all everyone's microphone is still working. I have to say, I mean, I mentioned this to Matt a couple of times. I've been to Iceland um, a couple of times, and anyone who goes to Iceland becomes, I think, like evangelical about the place. They just yeah. talk about it with, with. I mean, if you haven't been, it's probably very boring. But uh, <laughs> I, ju- I cannot wait to go back. Obviously, we can't actually go anywhere at the moment, but um, it's ju- you know the culture. The I don't think I've every country is unique, and I hate exceptionalism in any kind of country and the people from a country but there is something unique and extraordinary about your country Ragnar which I think is one of the reasons why you have so many writers and such extraordinary artistic output it is quite quite a special place I I, I can agree and that um, you know there is something you know especially in the summertime there is something magical about the the long long days the long nights uh, no darkness and, and that's the time of year when I usually Try not to write. I just try to be, you know, stay up as long as I can and, and enjoy this, this strange phenomenon that is the the, the summer nights in, in Iceland. How is it? Can I before we discuss the girl who died? Can I just? How is it possible to be one of the most highly acclaimed crime writers in the world, as it says on the front of the book? Is this the best crime writer in the world today? Is a quote from the Times, and yet you still have another job. You know, you're not a full time. Writer, this seems crazy to me. Yeah, it sometimes seems crazy to me as well, actually. Uh, but the reason I, I still I still do it is just for the, uh, it's, you know, writing is, is, is kind of a lonely profession and you don't meet a lot of people, especially, you know, in the past you know, year and a half. So, so having a place to go to work uh, every day is something that, you know, you learn to, you learn to treasure. Uh, you know, meet, meet new people and, and and have something to to different to focus on, mm. but it is getting more difficult. You know, by the day, by the month, to to try to do both. Yeah. So well, sorry about that. You keep on being so successful as a writer. It's it must be unbearable for you. <laughs> so that's uh, and here we go with uh, with a standalone book, which is the girl who dies. Not one of your series. This standalone uh, introduce us to to this book and introduce us to this 
uh, extraordinarily lonely place up in the north of Iceland that you're writing about. Yes. So, uh, so we, I, I thought I, you know, I, I'd written a couple of series and I thought I wanted to do something very different. So, uh, so I found this place, it's called Skaular and it's on the, uh, it's basically as far away from Reykjavik as you can get. If you, if you draw a straight line on a map from Reykjavik to the northeast uh, part of Iceland, this is where you would end up. And so I thought, you know, what if I, if I, if I create a character, in this case, a young woman, a teacher in Reykjavik in the 1980s, and she's tired of her life in Reykjavik and she wants to, you know, change, do something different. She sees an ad in the paper for a teacher at the end of the world, basically. So she moves to this place. It's called uh, it's called Skaular, and it used to be a real village. Uh, it used to be a place where people lived, um, you know, uh, quite a few years ago. It was uh, during the Second World War, and a little for a little while after that. Um, but now it's an abandoned village. So I, I went there and I visited, and there was. It was quite magical. It was quite uh, there are these ruins of old houses, and it's so far away from everything, and it's so uh, empty uh, and so cold. And for me, it was the perfect place to to choose. And and she goes there in the you know in the start of winter, basically, to teach two two children. And and it's a village of of ten, so it's one of the smallest villages you can think of um and and she spends a winter there and she's she really does not feel welcome at all uh and she even thinks the house she stay she's staying in might be haunted and so this is the book about you know this woman uh una and her winter in in Skaller. and of course you know during the course of the of the, of the winter someone dies quite tragically and and uh she, she she has to try and figure out what happened, and we don't have you know we hardly have any police presence or anything like that. So it's not a police procedural. It's uh, it's quite different, I think. Yeah, um, uh, I, there's something I was reading. I was finishing off yesterday in the garden, Ragnar, where it was 31 degrees. Uh, there is something about right re- reading it in extreme heat about the depths and the remoteness of the uh, of Scowler. In Iceland, a fantastic contrast um, it was. And uh, can you just explain a bit about why why it's the mid nineteen eighties? Is that so that you could write about Scala with people in it? Because you mentioned it's deserted now. Uh, actually, it wasn't because in the nineteen eighties it was deserted as well. But but the reason is uh, for me it's a it's a it's a charming era. The nineteen eighties. Uh, it's everything's a little bit more more innocent, especially in Iceland. Uh, but most importantly, we, we don't have any internet, we don't have any mobile phones or anything that, like that, which I think usually ruins a good crime story. Uh, <laughs> That's a cheat. That's a complete cheat, <laughs> isn't it? You know, mobile phones and computers, yeah. that's a little bit annoying. I know I'll set it in the <laughs> mid-80s. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's I guess you're entitled to do that, given that you are one of the world's leading crime writers. I, just before Matt comes in, can I just ask you, Ray, do you... Uh, it's quite a while before, because you mentioned someone dies, and it's quite a while, obviously, the title suggests who it might be. Um, uh, do you play with the f- with the supernatural just a little bit more than a writer 
who wouldn't be from Iceland? Because for a while it feels like a ghost story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Icelanders, I think, tend to be quite uh, superstitious and, and, you know, believe in the supernatural to an extent. I mean, uh, I don't think you would necessarily find a lot of Icelanders who really believe in ghosts, but they sort of believe in, uh, I mean, uh, some sort of, you know, the force of nature in some way, because we, you know, traditionally we, we, you know, our, our ancestors have had to like, uh, live off the, off the land here and, and try and survive in, in these harsh, harsh conditions that used to be, uh, and sometimes still are in Iceland. Um, so, so, I mean, that is probably true. And, and, and I had, I had a lot of fun, you know, doing a little bit of, of, of the supernatural here, even though it, I, I was very careful. It would never be the essence of the book. And, and for each reader, it's, it's basically up to you to decide if, if, if you want to believe in a ghost or not. But, uh, and it's most certainly not the, uh, uh, the solution does not hinge on that in any way. But it was, it was, uh, I had fun with it. And it was really the first time I really, have, I've done anything like that. But, uh, and it's not something I would probably use in more books. But it's sort of fitting for this this village because it is a little bit, uh, yeah, it is a, a strange place, and and you can you know maybe you can believe that this this is a place where where you might possibly find a ghost. I I, I want to talk to you about that sort of sense of isolation, Ragnar, because uh, reading the book, um, clearly this uh, scowler, this this place you found. Um, is miles from anywhere and so isolated. And I know I'm, I'm really interested in those sort of genres of fiction where uh, you put the main or you put the, the setting in somewhere that's so isolated. And there are, there are good dramatic reasons for that. In other words, you know, the police can't get involved. It's all got to be solved by the people who are in that community. But also it appeals to that, that part of all of us where we're sort of like we want to get away from it all. And of course, we've all had the last 18 months or so where we've all had to be in our homes. So in effect, even if you've been living in a city you've been getting away from it all because you've just had to be alone in your in your own house but what i i really liked about the book is that you know getting away from it all is great until you realize that the scowler um shop is only open between three and five and they can't get the newspapers for like two or three days afterwards um and and also you know the community being in that sort of really small community is great until they start slagging off how you drink your coffee literally how she drinks her coffee they are criticizing how she i'm like she just wants to have a coffee black what's wrong with having your coffee with no milk in it and it's and it, I, I love all that the, the the sort of the um atmosphere you're creating of this might sound great the idea of getting Getting away from it all might sound great, but there's the sort of what I would probably call the deliverance side of it as well, where you're like, okay, maybe I, maybe I don't want to uh, live here long term. You're talking to us from Reykjavik, so would you describe yourself as somebody who's, who's very much a city person or, or someone who, who fantasizes about getting away from it all, as, as many of us have? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, you absolutely do, and, and sometimes you don't, you know, you think it might be a a good idea to go somewhere far away and, and just, you know, write or, or experience something totally different. But uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, this place that I, I write about in the book, it's it's definitely not, not somewhere I would actually want to live. And uh, uh, I think, you know, I think I've made it uh, quite uh, quite clear that this is, 
it's not a friendly place, at least in the in the book, and you know, and weather-wise, and and in every sense, it's a very harsh place in real life uh, to live, and you know, which is apparent by the fact that the village isn't there anymore. I mean, people just couldn't really, really stay there. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a place you might hopefully want to read about, but you wouldn't really want to go there. I was thinking. Also, Ragnar, that obviously when anyone writes a story, a sense of place is obviously incredibly important. But if you're writing a story in Iceland, the weather and landscape is inescapable. You know, if you write a, if you write a story based in London, obviously you have to, you know, you might talk about the tube or you might talk about the busy streets or uh, whatever. But if you're writing in Iceland, the weather and landscape is is front and center pretty much all the time. Yeah, uh, I think we're quite fortunate in that respect. I mean, we have this uh, fantastic country and this, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I mean, if I drive 30 minutes out of Reykjavik, I'm in a place called Thingvelli, which is the old parliament uh, place, uh, outdoors, uh, a heritage, heritage site, basically, and uh, which is has absolutely stunning nature and, and you, you really don't have to go far to find places like that. And if you drive around the country, there are so many interesting places. And, and so, so writing a book set in Iceland, I mean, you, uh, you really have to use this, uh, uh, you have to take advantage of this in a way. And, and so that's what I've tried to do is, uh, try to find these strange places, whether they're, you know, Sometimes it's like stunning nature, and sometimes it's just desolate places that are real. Um, so I mean, absolutely, uh, writing books in Iceland, you, I feel that it's uh, it's sort of your your duty to to make use of of this this country and it, it's, it's, uh, this strange nature that we have, and also the weather because we have all sorts of weather. We can have beautiful days, and we have. But then, if you go into the highlands in, in whatever any time of year it's it gets dangerous because you just you can get lost you you can expect you know snow in summer or whatever yeah i um, i don't know whether matt's still with us or not he's looking at the screen here he appears then he disappears his signal is rubbish then his signal comes back again oh dear i'm not sure whether you can hear me or not yeah yeah i can hear you Um, ragnar has been very tolerant um so um (laughs) Ragnar, thank you. Bear with us. So, Matt, do you want to go? Do you, do you, as yeah. long as you can hear well, me, I'll do you want to try want to... a question? Yes, I'll try a question. I'll keep it tight. Um, I want to talk about booze, uh, Ragnar, because uh, Una, our, our main, our, the, the, the main character here, all she wants is to have a drink. And what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. And yet, uh, it's very much frowned on in Scowler. She can't get a, you know, it's almost as if she's buying moonshine. Uh, it's, it's such a nightmare getting hold of a, of a bottle of wine. I, Simon, as he said, has, has been to Iceland. I've never been to Iceland, but I, I, w- I wondered whether is 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 alcohol really frowned on as much in sort of wider Icelandic society as it clearly is in Scowler? It isn't, but but in these actually in the nineteen eighties, uh, we I mean beer was not uh, legal in Iceland in nineteen eighty six when the book takes place. It wasn't until nineteen eighty nine. That the uh, prohibition of beer was was abolished. Uh, wow! Uh, it had been, you know, it had lasted from from 1915 to 1989, 
in in Iceland. Um, so we were probably one of the you know last countries in the world to to make beer legal. Although you know strong alcohol was was not forbidden, so it was a, a I mean quite a strange time. People tell me that you know people who were you know enjoying life in the, in those days, uh, you had to drink strong alcohol but not beer. Uh, but also in these smaller villages, I mean, what I'm uh, basically working with in the story is, you know, the smaller the community gets, the more inquisitive people are, the more judgmental they may be, you know, especially towards a, a stranger in town. So, uh, you know, and Una, she certainly does like like her red wine, and and it is hard to you know to have a hobby like that in a in a town of only ten. Why was it that beer, it was so late before beer was okay to drink and yet you could get as much, you know, hard liquor as you wanted? What what was the thinking behind that? I don't know what the thinking was. I mean, it, it's just sort of old-fashioned uh, uh, old fashioned way of thinking, I think, from, from, from politicians at that time. Um, uh, you know, I, I really struggled to see the, the, the justification and, you know, and people sort of make fun of it. Now they make fun of the politicians who were actually against against it. There were some people who, who voted, you know, against uh, it in 1989, and uh, it, you know it, it seems so so obvious now. Uh, but it's you know it's a it's a small community. Iceland is really, and uh, so it's just you know like a I think of the past, uh, uh, which makes no sense now, really. The, re- the residue of that, Ragnar, is that um, going out for a few drinks is incredibly expensive. And uh, wow. there, w- there was one party in Reykjavik who came, who'd clearly come out for like a stag weekend where their intention was to drink a lot. And uh, our first night, uh, a gin and tonic and a glass of wine was £25, and that was considered absolutely... Goodness me. You know, that's, that's, that's the way it is. So, you know, if you want to go out and just drink a lot, don't go to Iceland. You can go to Iceland for many other <laughs> reasons. Um, but just on the subject of the politics... Uh, Ragnar and the small community. Can you tell us about your prime minister, um, who, if 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 I understand this right, not only do you know this is Katrin Jakobsdottir, I think I've got that right, but she, but she knows a lot about crime fiction, so she's very much immersed in all of this. Tell us about your prime minister. Yes, so Katrin is, uh, has been our prime minister for the past four years, and this is seeking re-election this this uh, September, and 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 she actually before she. She went into politics. She was. She wrote her thesis in, in, in literature at the university on on Icelandic crime fiction uh, some years ago, and uh, and she has been sort of Iceland's you know preeminent authority on crime fiction. And and uh, although she's put more of her time into politics in the past past few years or the past decade, she's been the minister of culture as well before she became the prime minister. Um, and, and and we've we we're friends, so we've been working uh, together on uh, we uh, we've, we've been we've been together on a on a judging panel for the uh, for the past you know five or six years judging the best translated crime fiction in Iceland, and that's that's I think that's the only uh, job in a way that she kept when she became prime minister, the only sort of extra hobby that she still still wanted to do, um, and then we. Uh, it was about you know a year 
maybe a year or two ago that I, I, I met her for lunch and I suggested, you know, maybe we should write a, a crime novel together and she agreed to that. Uh, uh, so that's been on the, on the cards for, for, uh, for a while. But what happened, you know, right after this lunch, uh, we were hit by this pandemic and, um, and we, we really haven't, uh, yeah, the story is still being developed. I can, yeah. But we, we hope to finish that in the next couple of years. You mentioned translation. Uh, your, uh, your book is translated by Victoria Cribb, so we should mention her because these are her, she is translating your words. Your English is very good. Uh, Ragnar, do you do you read your books in English? Have you ever been tempted to 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 write in English yourself? Uh, so Vicky is uh, is a fantastic translator. I can uh, I'm so pleased to have her, and and she really she's brought these books to life. And uh, and and before that, I had uh, another fantastic translator called Quentin Bates. So I'm I'm really thankful for for, for the for the translators of this <laughs> this world because without them. You know, my books will probably only be read in Icelandic. Uh, but I have—I've uh, never really given. I, I have translated books from English to Icelandic as a, as a hobby, but I've never thought of translating my own work. But I have written in English directly on on occasion. Uh, but that's been for short stories. I mean, if I'm commissioned to write a short story, uh, I for for English language magazine or, or book, I. I would usually just write it in English because it, it's uh, it's easier. But to write a full novel in English, I haven't I haven't really tried, and uh, I think I think I'm better off with with my fantastic translators. Agatha Christie gets a mention in the book. Um, you uh, did, didn't you translate Agatha Christie into Icelandic when you were younger? Is is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a. Uh, I was looking for a job when I was 17. I was uh, in college and I needed something to do for the summer. So I was a big Agatha Christie fan and uh, I went to the, uh, uh, my mom actually, I, I didn't even have a license to drive at that time. So my mom drove me to the to the publisher of Agatha Christie in Iceland, a very kind gentleman who, 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 who took me well. And I said, you know, you may know me because I've been calling you every year for the past few years to ask you, you know, ask what Agatha Christie book are you publishing this year, etc. Because I was, uh, I was their biggest fan, and uh, and I said, you know, would you like me to translate a book for you for Christmas? And he he gave it some thought, and then he called me back a few days later and and said, you know, let's try this. And I was so surprised, uh, you know, to give a seventeen-year-old uh, the chance to actually translate a whole book. Um, and he said I could pick any book I wanted, so I went to my shelves, which was filled with Agatha Christie books and, in English, and, and I picked the shortest one I could find because I had no idea how long it would take to translate a whole novel. Um, but that, you know, somehow that worked, and, and I did that for, for over 10 years, uh, one book every year, uh, while I was in school and when I graduated and started working. So that was really my hobby, and 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 sort of the gateway into, into actually you know finding the courage to write uh, my own books. I'm interested that you bring up uh, Agatha Christie there, Ragnar, because um, 
it really all this book really did uh, bear the hallmarks of that. And I think the 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 biggest clue is the fact that um, well, one of the things I love about Agatha Christie is that if you are paying attention very early on in the books, you get a very strong clue as to what's going on. And uh, it is pretty early on in your book that there is this clue. There's a great. I'm not obviously going to mention the ending, but the ending is really strong, and it is hinted at. Very, very. In fact, I think it's hinted at on the on the front cover, which is amazing. I mean, imagine the nerve of that being able to put a, a massive clue on your front cover. Was that? I is that been a deliberate thing that you've you've thought? You know, this is a sort of uh, a part of of Agatha Christie's writing that I'd like to bring into my own of of just giving people that heads up that you can go that you can literally turn back two hundred pages and go ah I was you know he was trying to tell me something in that sort of uh, paragraph back there. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, I think I, 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 I tried, I've tried to learn a lot from Agatha Christie, and uh, and one of the things that she did so well is, you know, hide these clues in in plain sight and and try to have a have a twist at the end that seems so obvious when you when you when you reach the ending. And and for me, I mean, I, it's at least it's always my goal to to have a surprise at the end for the reader and and some sort of a twist. And and as you mentioned there, I mean, <laughs> we have actually the clue on the cover, uh, which which I thought was quite uh, quite a nice thing to do. And and we had to tread very carefully when 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 uh, my my friends at Penguin were, were writing the the cover text uh, and the summary for the book, because it, you really had to get it right to not to ruin it for everyone yeah matt do you want to describe the cover just because i should have done yeah. it at, the be- uh, uh, at the beginning but it's uh, it's certainly ha- having talked about the cover you should probably just tell us what's on it yeah so so it's a, it's a i mean this shouts out thriller it's a uh, mainly black cover and the picture itself is this desolated uh well it looks like a barn really with with just one light it, it, it shouts out isolation there's a it's dominated by as this as i say this dark cloudy sky behind it and then in big uh, bold white letters the girl who died uh, and underneath it the tagline welcome to scowler population 10 and falling and then ragnar jonasson's uh, name at the bottom it's a great tagline by the way yeah, population ten and falling. That's uh, that's terrific. Any people go? Yep. Okay. Um, I, I I do. I, I need I need to read this book. And just I don't want to labour the Agatha Christie point, but uh, given that it's been so much a part of your heritage, um, that that sense that we were talking about, you know, setting it in the eighties without computers, uh, without mobile phones, the fact that you have a very small cast, uh, and obviously from the cover, a small cast and getting smaller. Uh, is just the perfect thriller backdrop, isn't it? You seem to love working with a small amount of people. Yeah, I, I actually absolutely do, and uh, that gives you the you know the opportunity to to explore each one uh, in more depth and and look into the psychology of the of the characters rather than some external clues. Uh, uh, yeah, it really gives you a, an opportunity to to. Uh, yeah, to, to sort of go in depth. And, and the fewer the characters, the better really it is. Although, you know, the fewer the characters, the more challenging it becomes to, to hide the truth from the reader. Uh, I did a book a, a couple of years ago that had, uh, that had basically three, three characters 
Tinnit sat in a in a farmhouse at Christmas in a snowstorm, and I I really enjoyed doing that. I I have you know been tempted with with the idea of trying to write a book about only two characters, uh, possibly even just one. I don't know how 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 that would work, but uh, but basically, I mean, it is uh, yeah, it, it's sort of my hobby too. To try and limit the number of, of suspects without making everything too obvious. It's uh, the book is dedicated to your father, um, and he also gets a mention in the uh, in the little um, author's note. You can uh, specifically did he have knowledge of the area, Ragnar? Was he able to to help you with that? No, but what he's done, and and both my father and my mother have done is, you know, they have always encouraged me from you know from just the age of i don't know six five six seven just to write and keep writing and, and read a lot and and i've dedicated a book to each of them and uh and uh no that i mean they they just they're so incredibly supportive and 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 they've always you know wanted me to to write and uh, and and actually my father is from a place called Siglifjörður where 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 my first series took place, so he he was really helpful with helpful with that that particular series because he knew that area well. Is it, is that where that fantastic hotel is, where they filmed a lot of the TV show Trapped? Is that is that Sigfludia? Yeah, yeah, Sigfludia. Yeah, exactly. This is great. This is where Matt. I'm now going to become an Icelandic boar. <laughs> we can, oh, good. Oh, good. Here we go. Uh, uh, we could just. Talk about that. Do you, but on on the tourism side, Ragnar, do you get the sense that Iceland is is changing at all? Um, I mean, it, it, anyone who wants to know why it's a culture that has remained pretty much the same for a long time, just look at, just look at a map. Um, but I wonder, with the amount of attention coming your way, the success of the football team, the uh, the huge culture which is coming out of Iceland, the music that comes out of Iceland, whether uh, there is that sense amongst Icelandic people that their culture is changing. Uh, no, not really. I think uh, the only the only change that is uh, I'm, I may be slightly concerned about is the fact that you know the the impact of, of the English language is becoming uh, ever more uh, apparent, and and that has nothing to do with the tourists. Really, it has more to do with just the way the media is set up. The you know. People are watching more uh, English language media and 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 reading more in English. And uh, I'm slightly concerned that you you know we need to be we need to be careful and, and keep the Icelandic language up there so people keep writing in, in Icelandic and, and keep reading in Icelandic. But but with the you know with with the influx of tourists, I mean I, I absolutely love that and and I've missed the tourists. I mean we have had you know now. A year and a half without tourists in Iceland, and it's uh, the place isn't as much fun without without the tourists. Uh, and now we're getting them <clears throat> finally back, and and I love it. I mean, everything is more vibrant. Uh, the restaurants are opening up again. The hotels are opening up again. You go out uh, in the evening downtown, and it's filled with people. Uh, so I think you know. The attention Iceland is getting is just fantastic, and and you know, please continue to to visit. Yes, um, and Matt, you'll you'll love it for many reasons. Plus, um, 
The oh, Icelandic yeah. people, it seems to me, are the cleanest people. Um, there are, I've never been anywhere where there are instructions as to how you shower. And if you're not showering, <laughs> and also if you're not showering in the right way and showering the right bits and pieces, then someone will tell you that you should be doing that. And that is. Hang on, how's that? How, how, how is that enforced? Like, I mean, you know, if I'm in the. the I, when I'm having a shower, 99% of the time, I am alone in the cubicle. No. How is someone no, telling someone me will come how, in and, how, what? Someone will come in and say, you're not washing properly. <laughs> This is true, Ragnar, isn't it? You, the, uh, yeah. the, there are instructions as to how to clean yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, and you're very right. I mean, either the the guard at the swimming pool will will come and uh, and tell you uh, how to do this properly, or just the Icelanders themselves, because they'll be watching you as well. They'll be, you know, making sure everyone's adhering to these rules it's it's strange but that's the way it is it's our swimming pool culture we have a pool in every you know in every village there's a heated uh, thermal pool and and in Reykjavik I mean dozens of them and and it's one of our you know Iceland there's favorite hobbies is to go swimming yeah well, it's a, it's a culture clash, I think, Ragnar, between the British way of doing things and uh, where, like Matt, you pretend you're the only person there and the Icelandic way of doing things, which is to study and to make sure you do it uh, properly. So, you know, as, as long as you're forewarned, you're forearmed and, um, and yeah. everything is, uh, you know, and, and then, you, you know, then you can expect it and you'll be very welcome, but only if you cleaned yourself properly. Um, <laughs> Uh, before you go, I'm, I'm aware, Ragnar, it's your holiday and we're taking up a lot of your time. What do you, do you write in the summer or do you just keep it for the darker days? So I just keep it for the darkness. Uh, as I mentioned, I mean, in the summertime, it's uh, it's bright and nice and you just want to be outside. You want to be outside reading or or, or just enjoying the, the summer. But uh, so I usually, I never write my novels in, in the summer. But what really happens is I... I I start to, you know, miss writing. So I usually, you know, would go out and, and write a short story or, or something to to keep the imagination going. So I've just finished one short story uh, last week, and um, so I, you know, I do something, but it's it's uh, it's it has more of a holiday feel to it because in the winter I'm, I, I I pretty much write every day and. and I wouldn't go to sleep un- until I've finished, you know, doing one chapter or whatever it would. Yeah, and uh, and and what is that? What are we going to see from you next, Ragnar? After uh, the girl who died, which is the book we're talking about, what do we see that's new from you next? Yeah, so it's a book called Outside, and and I'm I'm working on that both in actually in English and Icelandic at the moment because it's it's out in Iceland in, before Christmas, and and it's already translated, so it's the one. Uh, it's out early next year in the UK as well, and that's set in the in the Icelandic Highlands in in winter, and we have a group of friends, four people. So again, you know, few characters who go out to to hunt in in November, and they get lost in a snow snowstorm and and have to seek refuge in a in a cabin, and when they open the cabin, they they see some uh, they see something so terrifying that uh, the whole trip. Uh, takes a, a, a different turn, and and this whole book is just set in uh, over the course of you know a day and a half in 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 this cabin and and uh, in the snowstorm, and 
And I have to say, I really enjoyed writing that. It's a standalone as well. So, you know, anything can happen to, to anyone in that book. Wow. I'm looking forward to that uh, already. Ragnar, you must, if, if you will, we, we'd love to talk to you again when that, when that book comes out. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Is, it, and is it true? You, you mentioned the winter. Is it true that the cult is another cultural thing that uh, uh, at Christmas, uh, every Icelandic person gets a book, goes to bed and eats chocolate. That's what I Yeah, uh, that is right. I mean, every, every Christmas, uh, all the books more or less in Iceland are published before Christmas in hardback and given as Christmas presents. So you would expect an Icelander to get a lot of books for Christmas and even buy some for himself. I mean, I, I do that. I buy a few books for myself because I uh, just want to make sure I get the right books that I enjoy. And and then on Christmas Eve we uh, we have the Christmas dinner and then uh, we open the the gifts and you open your book uh, and when when everyone's opened their presents I think what most I think it's you can fairly well generalize that most Icelanders would take their book of choice and find a nice reading corner by the fire or 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 or, or by a candle and. Uh, and open the box of chocolates as well, because uh, that is a strong tradition as well. And then you just read into the night. Uh, so you read into, you know, Christmas Eve, uh, you know, you, you try and stay stay awake as, for as long as you can into the night uh, with your lights on and, and just read and read. And, uh, and that's usually, you know, you save your most, the book that you're most uh, excited for at any given yeah, you would save that for Christmas Eve. Fantastic, fantastic. I don't. I, well, I love the girl who died, uh, Ragnar. I don't think I'd want to read it at three o'clock in the morning with a candle no, no. guttering next to my bed. <laughs> uh, Ragnar Jonas, we appreciate you speaking to us. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll do the Q and A with you uh, on the next podcast, so stand by for that. But the girl who died is new from Ragnar Jonas. Ragnar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much.